All right, so tonight the title of the message is Do Not Love the World. So we're going to be talking about worldliness. You know, it's not a very, you know, uh, topic that's exciting, especially if you're in the world and you love some things of the world. But this was a message that I, I began to, to work on ch- as, a, as a mode to challenge myself. To You know, it's always good to do spiritual inventory on yourself. So we'll just do spiritual inventory together because in the process of doing that, you may see some things that God wants to point out. And it could be the very things that are stopping your growth, stopping you from going higher with God, going further with God. And I really think as we look through this, I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I don't want to go down the list and say, don't watch this, don't listen to this. That's not the goal. We're going to look at what drives what we do. So. First John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. That's what we're going to be kind of looking at tonight. Now that kind of seems like a contradiction for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it is not a contradiction. We will see what this verse is talking about. So what does it mean to a Christian? What does that mean to us? What are some common questions that are asked in this regard? Am I not supposed to watch movies? Am I not supposed to love and watch football? Is anything but Christian music evil? You know, that's, that's where some people's Christianity, I mean, rubber hits the road. Brother, I don't listen to anything but K-Love and 102.9, and that's it. I'm not worldly. And we, we, we numb it down to that one thing. Does, does it mean as a Christian that you can't work to make a lot of money? To enjoy nice things? Is that, is that what the Bible's talking about? Can you not have some of the newest things? Is that, is that what it means to love the world? Is it not to be able to dress nicely or all these things? You know, there are people that take vows of poverty. They, I mean, they got whole, uh, you know, denominations that, that preach that, you know, you're not supposed to enjoy life, basically. You know, you're supposed to walk around like, you, like you're sucking on a lemon. You know, like if you're miserable, you're holy. Is that, what that, is that what it's talking about? And when you look at, at worldliness, it becomes taboo almost to talk about in churches because there's so many views of what worldliness is. So I thought it'd be a good time to just sit smack dab in the middle of that. <laughs> okay. Now listen, I know a topic like this is uncomfortable. It is, trust me, it's uncomfortable to sit here and talk about it. But it's needed It was needed in looking into this. It was needed in studying it. And the Lord was bringing things to my mind. Uh, So let me ask you a question. If the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in your life, will you address it between you and him? That's that's the life application. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, this thing right here, this has to go. Are you willing to do that? Okay, because it's for your benefit. Now, when you look at all of these things, everyone is at risk of loving the world. Everyone. You know, Paul had a friend named Demas. Remember Demas? You know, Demas got, got saved and, you know, he was following Paul and Paul, Paul took him on a mission trip with him. He was his comrade in the gospel. Now, no doubt... Paul knew who he was picking when he picked Demas. I mean, 
Paul, his motive and mindset was missions. If you read his Gospels, he's always looking to further the Gospel. So he was very focused. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, he says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Now, if you look at that, it's like, well, well, he was just doing what God said. He loved the world. That's not what it's talking about. And we will see exactly what he is talking about. Now, obviously, we are called to love the world. John 3.16 says so. So what exactly does it mean? And why was it so strong that it was able to disqualify Demas from, from following along with Paul? Especially since Paul was the preacher of grace. We'd say, man, well, you know, Paul, you're being a little hard on Demas, but evidently there was something in Demas's life that disqualified him, and the Bible does not say. So, but I want to say this, deserting does not come before drifting. Drifting happens first. Apostatizing does not come without a steady diet of subtleness. You know, you're just a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, give you an example. You see ISIS on the news. A while back, it was like, look what they're doing. Now you see it on Yahoo News. You just keep scrolling. You're becoming desensitized. You see volcanic eruptions, earthquakes. Now it's like, oh, man, 50,000 people or 10,000 people or you just keep going. You're trying to find, you know, something about the saints or something with LSU or I hope, you know, it's not that way. But you know what I mean? You just continually go through things you, you kind of skip over the big things mass shootings you're like oh man that's horrible and you just keep going it's because you're getting used of things now we all know people that get on fire for the lord and you've been serving god and they look at you like you stupid no we know people <laughs> me and my friend jeremy we got saved together we all we've gone through so many things like, it, it, there's quite a few stories that I can sit up here and tell you, but we knew some guys that, man, they were like on fire and, you know, looking at us, man, y'all need to do this, y'all need to do that. Next thing you know, they've totally turned their back on God and moving totally in the opposite way. But man, these guys came out the gate on fire, made you feel like you were lost. But it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. You see, cars sputter before they die. Church members skip before they stop. <laughs> like, oh, brother, I, no, it's true. Listen, I'm not one of those, you may remember this uh, growing up in church. If you, like, if you like the church, you come on Sunday morning. If you like the preacher, you come on Sunday night. If you love God, you come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Now, I'm not one that advocates that, obviously, because that's legalism. But people used to look at it that way. So you can do all of these things, and legalism can become a motive to judge whether or not somebody's saved, all the while carrying around a five-pound King James Bible, have a master's degree in Christian Christianese, and slowly drifting in, on, on the inside of, of yourself. So number one, love for the world begins in the soul. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, it's a subtle deadening that things that are buying for your affection, it just starts to wear you down. 
It's, I mean, you, it's just bombarding against you, bombarding against you. The next thing you know, your conscience becomes seared and dulled. And the very sins that we used to run from now so slowly become, come in and become habitual again. You, you've experienced any of that? And you're like, oh, no, okay. You know anyone who's experienced that in their life? So we trade the excitement of coming to church for a roster checklist or a chore. Say, God, I'm here. Write me down in, in, in the book. So my question is, where are you tonight? Where are you tonight? You made, this is the Christian way that, you know, because I'm, I'm in on all the, the ways. Oh, brother, I'm just in a new season of my life. You know, I'm just so busy right now. And, you know, that's what people say when they want to not, not come anymore, but. But Christians that are on the verge of persecution overseas, we look at that and we're like, man, I can't believe, look how horrible what's going on. But don't, don't think for one second that America is not in probably even greater danger because everything, the seduction of the fallen world is coming into every room at every age group in your house. That's not persecution with Maybe, you know, uh, drowning you or doing all these things that they're doing overseas. But don't believe that, that our, our families are getting subtle diets of things that are slowly killing us. Our children are babysat by cartoons with sexual innuendos. They are spoon-fed philosophies at every, every age group, which are nothing more than doctrines of devils. I heard it said that one, one person has said, we teach our kids that we came from animals, and then we're surprised when they act like it. Our wives are being indoctrinated by talk shows or Hollywood starlets that are spray painted telling them what they should look like. You know, you look at men, they're being lulled to sleep by fantasies that come on TV. Or, or, or sports. You know, the definition of family is changing into a modern family. God has never changed his definition of family, and he never will. But you see, when you start to look at that, and you start to see it creeping in, eventually, as years pass, that's the normal. Your kid is saying, you're old-fashioned, you're old fuddy-duddy, and you don't understand how things go. That's worldliness. You see, let me read you a commentator who basically summed up what, it, what it's like in our daily diet. And I kind of tweaked it because some of the stuff I was like, nah, it's more this. But I'm going to read it to you. It's, I want to inform you that this is being done every single day in every facet of our families. We begin by, with a wake-up call from an alarm clock that reports the overnight news that we may have missed. We then grab breakfast hurry in front of our favorite news program. We ride to work listening to talk radio, listening to shock jocks full of crude humor and political rhetoric. Then we get to the office. We click on Yahoo News, check email. From time to time, we, we trace the latest news and celebrity gossip. Our favorite blogs, we, we sit down and we begin to get indoctrinated as it takes root and changes our view. Then lunch comes, we eat and read magazines. We talk to others who are fluid in their thought processes that, are, that oppose God's biblical worldview. That kind of sounds like up to lunch. 
Then during, when you get to, when, when work is over, we get into our car, take off, the channel is still where it's at from, from the morning commute. So then we, we mindlessly and aimlessly are wor- thinking about our day and that stuff's just coming in. Then we go by and bring Johnny to sports practice. And then Johnny gets in, his, in, in the vehicle and mindlessly looks at his phone or his iPod and destroys the world for 99 cents trying to create a new empire. And then if that's not good enough, he or she is being uh, taught by the latest child star or prima donna that is destined for rehab. <laughs> Then we go eat, we spend time with families, all staring at screens of of all ages, taught simultaneously in a family classroom that used to be called a living room, and we're all learning at different levels, and if we say, oh, hey, man, let's put this aside and have family, what we do is we sit in front of a 50-inch TV and surf through 300 channels. Then we go to bed, and we get soothed to sleep with the evening news and wake up and do it all over again. Don't tell me that after a while you do not start to have everything change in your life. Listen, media is the omnipresent backdrop of life that happens. And it, it, you know, the Bible talks about we should be in Jesus, but it's in media that we live and breathe and have our life and our identity. If you really get down to it, that's how the drifting happens. Does everybody agree with that? That sounds like our day. <laughs> okay, point number two. What is the world that we are forbidden to love? In 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit later as we continue on, but I just want to want to stop here and say that really when you think about it, the organized system of human civilization that opposes God is worldliness, is world, okay? So in the church where we have a religious belief system that also opposes God. So sometimes we're not clear on that. You know, we think, well, man, that's the world, but yet inside we're doing things, believing things that are nothing more than worldly belief systems, and we just attack attach Jesus and whatnot on it, and we serve that. You know, so it, it it's in the world, but it could also come into the church. Now, Christians are commanded to abstain from the very ways and practices that oppose God. Now, the very things that Christ died to save us from should not be our sources of pleasure. If you think about it. Man, you should see the scene from up here. It's true, and when you think about it, realistically. I don't want to talk about the things that they are. I want to talk about what's going on on the inside of us. What's, what's, what's fueling our desires for those things? See, the arrogance of the world and all that it entails is what we are not to love. The philosophies, mentalities, those things that are on the forefront of society are the things that we're supposed to abstain from. Let me give you an example of what it looks like. It's so subtle that a child can do it. We did a chapel service, and we were talking about integrity. Little Leah, which is Brendan and Cassie's, one of, one of the twins, they went shopping in a grocery store, and Leah saw a uh, couple of coins on the cabinet, uh, on the, the counter, 
And she went to give them to the lady, and she was like, oh, no, baby, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, you keep that. And so she held it in her hand, and she went to her mom, and she said, Mom, I don't feel like I should have this. Uh, Because in chapel, they talked about integrity. But you see, the world's way is, just take it. The kingdom's way is, no, I'm going to give this back in case somebody comes here and needs that. Even a child can do that. But you see, they're not deadened in their senses to the things that they're taking in. Eventually, you'll buy in, and it seems logical, finders, keepers. It seems like that's how it should be. That's worldliness, okay? So we're not even on CDs, not on types of music, none of that. We're just talking about with fuels, and it's worldliness. Now, let's look at worldliness in music. Let's, let's look at some of the common themes. Independence and rebellion, which translates, I am my own authority. Some of you can think of songs right now. Not songs you've listened to, just songs that you've heard in passing. <laughs> I like to pick. Emotionalism, how I feel is what matters. What about temporary rules? If, you know, if it's outdated, that's not how we do it nowadays. It's outdated. Love of pleasure, it's all about me, what makes me feel good. And sexual immorality, purity is the old school way of thought. That's what is in most music nowadays, and that's just coming in. It's coming in, coming in, feeding what's already in the sick, sinful heart. See, worldliness is human nature without God. That is going, this is getting worse and worse and further and further. You see, TV is neutral. With TV, you can get the gospel into your house or you can get Satan into your house. Or you can just have good family fun because there are things that are not bad. You know, if you think about iPods, they're neutral. With them, you can worship God or with them, you can worship the devil. It's neutral. Facebook, it's good to keep in touch with friends, or it's like a nuclear bomb that can go off in your house and destroy your family. But you see, my, my intent is not to give you a list of do's and don'ts. It's to look at the heart. It's to look at what's going on. Do a self-evaluation. Let me ask you a question really quick. What dominates your thought life? What are you thinking about when you're not thinking? That is what's on your mind, and that is what you're consumed by. Is it worry? Worry is worldliness. We're supposed to trust God, believe God. The ways of the world is, I got to do for me. You know, if God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who can't help themselves. If you think about it, there's everything that I, I do, what I can do, but I'm totally relying on God. And that's how we need to live our life. We need to totally depend on God. That's God's plan for us to depend on him for everything. There's no John Wayne's in the kingdom of God where we say, God, I got this. I take the training wheels off. We need to constantly be riding with God, walking with God. Let me ask you this. Are we more afraid about offending the world or God? Does our life desire man's approval or God's approval? Are you more afraid to look foolish in your belief system then, then, then be steadfast in your belief system, not to look foolish. That's evidence that there's some worldliness in there because we care more about what the world thinks. Now, the modern belief on worldliness is stuff. Stuff. The way you dress, what you watch, 
and what you listen to. It's a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. But out of that comes two babies, judgmental and pridefulness. We, you know, legalism, well, I don't do this or I do do this. And so you can have two ends of the spectrum. You could be so holy that nobody wants to talk to you. Or you could be so worldly that no one could even reach you. The issue is we need to be able to be in the middle where we have our belief system. We don't waver, but we don't alienate people that don't believe how we do believe. And we reach them. You see, culture and, and worldliness are two different things. You know, that's culture. You go overseas and you, 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 you might have to eat a rat if you're in Thailand because that's part of their culture. And if you say, oh, I'm not eating that, well, guess what they do? They shut you off to the gospel. When I went on mission trips, we had to eat whatever. Look, one time we went in the mountains. Well, my team didn't go. Another team went. And they had to eat guinea, guinea pig brain. Oh, yeah. I, I would have had to eat that. But if you would have turned that away, they would have said, we don't want to hear about your gospel. You disrespected us. So you're eating guinea pig brain participating in culture to get the gospel into their culture. Okay? Now look, and then some people, <laughs> I'm a meddle here. Some people don't like certain things on TV, but they'll, they'll point out, oh, I can't believe you watched that. But you don't like that anyway. So you could get on your soapbox, point the finger, but watch something just like it and watch it in secret as if God's not watching. See, the root is internal, not external. It's a heart issue, and I'm not talking about the organ. I'm talking about the innermost being. I'll give you an example. When we live, <laughs> you're like, come on, calm down, we're friends. <laughs> if, you, if you look at it this way, the music that we listen to, it, it, it's dictated from what's going on in our heart. Let me give you an example. Heartbroken, when you're heartbroken, you go listen to the tear in my beer or Keith Sweat. <laughs> I'm showing my age now. That's 80s. That's not that big of a deal. But no, because you're, you're listening to this music and you're saying, that music identifies with my mood. So what it does is it fuels the mood. Right? Now, what about this? When you're angry, you go put on some, some heavy stuff to fuel, <laughs> fuel that aggression. I mean, I know it's hard to work out to shout to the Lord, but you don't want to go jump into some stuff that's headbanging, that's worshiping the devil. <laughs> okay, that, now it's getting lighter. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, the battle is not Hollywood. It's the adapting or depending on the ammunition that already feeds a sick heart. That's worldliness. See, worldly philosophies say follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is sick. You follow your heart, you'll go off the, off the deep end or it'll end you up in hell because our heart is unbridled. We feel a certain way. I'm angry. Your heart would say, go kill this person. You know, so if you listen to your heart, 
and it's sick, it will lead you in paths that you should not go. Galatians 5, 17 and 18. For the flesh sets his desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So listen, the outward manifest what's on the inward. That's what's happening. Now, you know, when you, you don't want to get into law about what to do and what not to do, but being spirit-led is better. Let me give you an example. You're going down, down Highway 90. The speed limit is 65. Based on circumstance, that's the law. Based on circumstance, it will dictate if you're going to break the law or not. If you're running late, I'm going to go 70, 75. That's the law. But when you have a cop, police officer, sitting there, that will help you slow down no matter what circumstance is going on, right? So it's not under law, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're led by the one who enforces the law. See? You're better off listening to the Holy Spirit, not out of fear, not because he's going to write you a ticket, but because you love him. And you say, I don't want to grieve you. You know what grieving the Holy Spirit is in the Greek? It's adultery. It's breaking the Holy Spirit's heart through your affection for something else. It's cheating on the Lord. That's what it means in the Greek. So if you follow the lead of the Spirit, you will be gracefully motivated to take your foot off the gas and hit cruise control. <laughs> now let me ask you this. Would you entertain certain things that you entertain with God sitting on the side of you? Because he is sitting on the side of you. Worse than that, the Holy Spirit is in you. So is he grieved? See, the issue is not so much what is allowed, but what will offend. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Now notice John never mentions clothing, possessions, or CDs. We don't do CDs anymore. MP3s. So in context, he's not talking about trinkets and toys. It's the issue of the heart. He points out it's the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he does. This is how I read it, and it was put. It's reactions going on on the inside of what we're contemplating on the outside. It's what we're seeing. It's the it, worldliness lurks on the inside. The desires are not much so much the problem, but it's how much we want them. You know, you can want to make money and, and want to be success, successful, but if that is the demand of your life, you have just gotten into idolatry. See, Christians are born again, but they have old appetites. See, we don't conform to God's word. We will go our own way even serving God. So you see, the issue is drifting, drifting off, drifting to where it's not that big of a deal if I do this. I don't feel, I don't feel pricked in my spirit. You know, things like that. This is the kind of stuff we say and, and to justify. Now, what's the lust of the eyes? It's a gift from God, your eyes. But with these eyes, you can use whatever you want. And the lust of the eyes is the vehicle that will carry you into things that we shouldn't be in. So the question is, what are you focusing on? And is it beneficial to your spiritual life? 
or is, or is it a silent drip of anesthesia that is deadening what you are, where, where, where you're trying to get with God? Now, are you more drawn to people because of their looks or because it's beneficial in your spiritual life? If you think about that, like character, are you more drawn to people with good character or is it about what they have, what they do? Now, what about boasting? Boasting in who we are. We're so apt to put our identity in, in what we become, in our appearances, things we accomplish. You see, we, don't, we may not boast outwardly, but we want to use someone else's voice to boast about us. If I could just do this to get their approval, maybe they'll mention it. Things like that. So you got to watch for false humility. False humility. You see this all the time with coaches on, on TV, on ESPN. Like, they beat a team 75 to nothing. Man, y'all did a great job. Yeah, but we just, you know, our defense was just not. Like, dude, you've won 75 to nothing. That's false hum- humility. Bomb. But listen, we should identify first with our character in Christ. Listen, I'll give you an, an example. It goes beyond position. When, when you live and breathe, everything that is in Christ, everything that we work and do is in Christ. In other words, if you drive a truck to bring food, how about we have a thought process that is so buried in Christ that we say, man, God is using me to bring this person food so it will show that God is meeting their need, that God is feeding. When you're parenting, you're parenting through Christ. That way they see you and they see the ways of Christ. When we're husbands and wives, if we're so into God that we're loving our wife as Christ would and our wife is loving us you know, as Christ would also. If we're teachers, we're teaching so far in Christ that they're literally seeing the grace of God operate in your life. That's what it is to be buried and have your identity in Christ, not in what you do. What you do is just the outward expression of what's fueling it, which is Christ, which is his goodness. You see, the world entices us through its appetites, but we need to be focused on kingdom appetites and influence the world, but we must change our, our, our appetites first. See, our following Christ should complement everything that we do. That's the goal. That's what we're trying to get to. Number three, worldliness will pass away. In 1 John 2, 17, um, 2.17, it says, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, John is talking about the feudalness of titles, possessions, accomplishments. That will pass on, but our identity will live on. You look at somebody that passes away that had great wealth and all these things. They don't put that in the casket with them. You've never sat beside a dying person, and all they talked about is what they have. All they talked about is their family. And then the greatest thing that you can, that, that someone can eulogize is saying that was a man or woman of God. And I saw Christ every, every day in their life in some sort of way. That's the greatest thing. That will live on. That will continue on forever. John Owen, one of the old Puritan pastors, called it living affections for dying things. That's what, that's what accumulating everything is. That's worldliness. See, worldly peace. The Bible says that Jesus leaves peace not as the world leaves. So there's a godly, worldly 
there's a godly peace and a worldly peace. Sometimes it's in, in drugs or whatever. It's the deadening. But when you're in Christ, you can call on the peace of God to operate in your life. Now, look at the evaluation of in your own life. So this is what you do with all this. You say, okay, Lord, what is it that you're, is the Lord pulling things out of you, in you already? Are you like, man, I, I've got to write this down, write that down? Okay, well, cool. But let me, let me keep going. When the cross is the center of your life, when the cross is the very center of your life, that's the power source that will drive you to want to identify these things and, and step aside from it. The cross is our standard. You see, Galatians 6.14, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, Spurgeon said, dwell so close to, the, to Calvary that you can hear the cries from the cross. The closer you are to the Lord, the more you don't want worldly things. See, the issue is not nearly resisting worldliness, but reaching up for holiness. Because we're always worried about what we can put away. Well, if we're, if we're pursuing God, pursuing the things, we're getting further away from those, those appetites that will draw us back. Okay, let's look at Ephesians. I'm, I'm going to read, it's a pretty lengthy path, passage of Scripture, but I just want you to see it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, I want to start off by saying, Paul talks about the first three chapters, and he's talking about grace. So this, these, these verses here are not about condemnation because Paul preached grace. He had the doctrine of grace. If you read Romans, it's all about grace. But Ephesians 5, 1, it says, we can start there. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. I like this part because, you know, it's, that gets deep. <laughs> but when you get to verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern, okay, there's some things that we don't understand, we don't know, that is this good, is it not? Try to discern that. It says, take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, that Christ will sh shine on you. Now, if you take that, Take all of the things that we participate in and line it up in that context and discern what is right. See, legalism will, will put that in there and it'll be like, well, I'm going to try to get as close as I can 
And I'm going to discern on this side. But if you're led by the Spirit, if you love the Holy Spirit, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, when the Lord, when, when the Lord pops something in your mind, you'll say, oh, was that bothering you, Lord? I don't want to bother you, Lord. I, I'm laying this down. That's what it looks like. Legalism says, oh, you got this. It said a curse word in this movie. Kick, kick, it, to the, kick it to the curb. And then you begin to function as a spiritual policeman. But here's the thing. We go after other people. We so miserable with ourselves. We're like, I'm going after this person. It puts you in a bad mood and it gives Christ a bad name. But let's get, let's get practical. We watch calorie intake. We flee gluten at all cost. We have become chemists in the, in, the, in the grocery store as we read a label and dissect that thing down to the T. But we drink the world down like water. See, the issue that jumps out is try to discern. You may have something that you're listening to. Okay, let me discern this. Not for the sake that God's going to hit me on the head. But is this grieving him? Because I want to be closer to God. That's why I remember the song, which is, was beautiful, Come Up Higher. What is it? That is going to help you live a higher level of living. To do that, you must know what's bringing you down to a lower level of living. So that applies to all that we partake in. But see, the problem comes within the lack of desire to please the Lord. See, the Ephesians lived in a sex-filled, greedy, immoral, intellectual culture. But the, the, Paul was definitely, desperately trying to reach them. So when we become children of God, our appetites should look different from the world. Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. So how does this fit into our intake? Now, I understand it gets difficult because back then it wasn't coming into your house. But we're still held responsible. We're still, you know, it's not like, well, God, it's difficult, man. I got this one. I can pull out my phone. And God says, Cut your arm off if it causes you to, I mean, not literally cut the arm off, but whatever it is that's pulling you down, get that thing away from us. Move it. Kick it far from you. Now, how does this apply? What I'm listening to, am I watching? Does it fill me with the temptation to be impure in my thoughts or actions? If that's the case, distance yourself from it. Ephesians 5, 4, let, no, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. What Paul is saying is that filthiness and obscenity has no place in our conversations. Foolish talk, you know, the Bible says that, anyone, that the fool has said in his heart that there's no God. So anything that you talk about that denies God, that pushes God away from the mindset of people is foolish talk. That's filthiness in the Bible. Man, come on, bear with me. We're getting, I, I believe this is helping. Okay. Now listen, crude jer- joking or sexual humor. Listen, you don't talk about it, but you don't type it either. So, you know, social media is a, you know, that's a big deal. You know, getting that in, getting it out. Listen, once again, all of these are products 
of what the internal factory is pushing out. But your temperature is conviction. How convicted are you? That's the, that's the barometer of the soul. The Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But a changed heart will produce a changed vocabulary and a changed appetite. But it's growing in holiness, not shriveling up, shriveling up and dying in condemnation. That's how we look at it. Oh, man, it's condemning. It's this and that. No, look at it as going further to God, moving further in God. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So here's the question. Does it benefit me or am I allowed to do this? And, God, you know, God's cool with it. Let me give you a, a, a quick example. You know, some people pride themselves on how close they can get to the line, right? Oh, brother, I could take, I, I could watch this, I can do that, and, you know, no big deal. Some people, man, oh, poor Christians, man, they, they, they struggle. It, it, it produces these things in their mind. I, I have no idea what that's even like. Well, let me put it into context. There were a group of drivers that were applying to drive a king's, the king's children around. So they had to go up this great hill which, you know, and it was a small area that they can pass. There were no guardrails whatsoever, and it led up to the castle. So the king sent the, the applicant out and said, I want you to find somebody that can drive my kids around. And so he was like, cool. So he went out. He took in a list of applications. The question he asked was, let me ask you this. How close can you get to the edge without going over? And one of the guys was like, man, I could go however fast this thing goes, and I could stay within six inches of the edge. Another one said, oh, man, I can go real slow and just kind of curve the edge because I have really steady hands. Then one man said, if I'm carrying the king's kid, I'm not getting close to the edge. And he said, you're hired. How much more we're carrying the gospel? We don't want to get close to the edge. Listen, you get close to the edge, you will fall. You will fall off the edge. I promise you. And I say that even my own life. I don't try to get close to the edge. The barometer is, is how, what you're dealing with. And the fourth part, yes, but how? How does this apply? Colossians 1.10, our view should be the motive of pleasing God. Listen what it says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and ever increasing in the knowledge of God. When we're in sin, we're, we don't want the knowledge of God. The closer we get to God, the more we want of God, the more we climb to learn more of God. We must always keep our antennas up, so to speak, to see what's lurking on the inside of us, because when the bait comes, we will run out and grab it. So the issue should arise when we lose our desire to please God. Everybody knows this scripture, it's men's especially, flee immorality. And then men will be like, that's right. But the issue is the desire to flee. The issue is the desire to flee. Even women. The desire not to engage in a conversation that's potentially flirting. That's the problem. It's not, we know to flee is the desire to not want to be in that position. We like getting to the edge of the situation and let's just see how it goes. That's not a good mentality. We need to steer closer to the, to the, to the mountain, not on the edge. 
See, when you get in the true presence of God, you've ever been there where you're in the presence of God and you're like, I never want this to end? That's the goal. That's what will flush out worldly appetites, staying here. When you're in the presence of God, if a thought even comes through your head, man, you grab that thing, cast it down, step on it, move it from you, and you just enjoy the presence of God. That's the motivation, not a legalistic view of I can't watch this, can't do this, can't listen to this. It's the desire, Lord, is this hindering me from knowing you more? That's my motive. Is it, is it hindering me? Because I want more of you, more than I want what my flesh wants. And number two, discern and adjust. The more we pursue God, the more we will want that instead of pursuing the world. Ephesians 5.10, once again, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, we know Philippians, and we can stand on this because we're closing up. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in, in this, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received, heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I'm going to give you really quick. Three questions that you can answer all the time. I, I promise you these will stay in your mind. So ask yourself these questions. Number one, is what I'm watching or listening to causing me to love Jesus more or causing me to drift to the mindset of the world? No matter what it is, what you're partaking in, what I'm partaking in, is it causing me to love Christ more or is it pulling my affections Towards the area of the world. Number two, does what I listen to or watch cause me to value my new nature? Or does it cause me to want to resurrect my old nature? You know what I'm talking about? Like you listen to some stuff, you're like, oh, I remember them days. I can see the club so clearly. I remember this night. I remember this happened. So-and-so got in a fight. We went to jail. Man, that was some great nights. You know, that kind of deal. You, don't you know that music will do that? Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll go back to an old relationship when a song, oh, that was our song. But you're married now. You can't dwell on that. You know what I mean? So these are not, these are things that will cause us once again to what? Drift. And then in the drifting, you end up off course. And number three, and probably the most important. Is my conscience clear when I'm done indulging? That will, that will tell you right there. So let's close in prayer. It's like, yeah, hurry up. <laughs> Father, I just trust that your word has gone forth. God, that health will come from this word. Closeness to you will come to the, from this word. God, that is my desire. That is my motive. In, the, in this message, God, just as you work some things in me, God, I just pray that you do the same to your people here at church, God. And God, we honor you, Lord. We know that you're not a God that is desiring to beat us over the head with rules of do's and don'ts. But God, you are graciously, patiently, long-suffering 
pulling us from the things that are slowly destroying us. And But Father, not only are you pulling us from those things, you're pulling us closer to you. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for your patience with us. Come on, that's the greatest thing you can hear tonight. God is patient with you. He is long-suffering with you. He is ever looking to pull you closer to him. Can I encourage you not to fight the process, but run with open arms toward your heavenly father. God, I just thank you that you showed some stuff to your people. And God, I just ask that you give them that desire to discern the things that are not pleasing to you. And Lord, to desire to discern the things that are pleasing to you. Now, Father, I speak grace and peace and life over your congregation. Father, I thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, I'd like some of the altar workers to come up so we can stand with you in prayer. If not, good night.